0: Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we start with the topic, the elitism of Apple hardware in America. I found this tweet to be insane. Like I heard this was a thing in America, but I I don't see it very often. From this Omeo person, of course a person paying for Twitter blue, obviously. Why does iSpice have an Android? No, I have that phone. That's the same phone I have. This has a hundred thousand likes. Bro, I don't even text back green bubbles. Ew, biggest turn off. In my country, the majority of people have Android devices. But I've heard of this phenomenon in America where like people think they're a part of an elite club because they buy Apple hardware. Like I've said before, I've used iPhones for a lot of my life and I do understand they're easier to use and they have that whole ecosystem. And Apple is now building onto it even more with like their Apple card and stuff. Which is an interesting development and may lead to even more people jumping on iPhone. But this almost cult-like attitude to owning an iPhone is something I've never run across. And I wonder, as I've now been like out of school for however many years, maybe this is something that's permeating the younger generation that I'm uh, unaware of. In the US, you get bullied if you don't have a blue bubble. Yeah, so I've heard. But that's the power of marketing, right? No wonder Apple is worth so much money. If they can do this, they can change an entire culture and cause people who who have it to bully and mock people who don't. Like at the height of the console wars, I don't think it was this bad, right? Or at the very least, maybe it's because like, Android is so many different types of phones or something. I mean, mean, it's mainly Samsung, right? But I don't think there's like a Samsung fandom or something that can like hit back in the same way that between Xbox and, and Sony, or between like Xbox and PlayStation. Like there was a backwards and forwards there. McDonald's heard me and has now made a huge change. So the most dedicated of Rambles watchers would remember once upon a time I complained about something at McDonald's that really annoyed me. I once upon a time said that I hate that on the mobile app you can't put Big Mac sauce on Double Quarter Pounders. Because Big Mac sauce on Double Quarter Pounders is great and you can do it in the store, so why don't they let you do it in the app? You can put chicken burger sauce on it or whatever, just not Big Mac sauce. McDonald's tweeted this out. My saucy secret is out. Starting on the 27th of the 4th, you can put Big Mac sauce on everything, only on the app. Is it a bit egotistical or self-importance for me to say that I probably caused this to happen? That when I complained about this, I have connections enough that someone at McDonald's is like, Yeah, why, why can't you put Big Mac sauce on everything? And so now it's a thing. Basically what I'm saying is, you're welcome. This is a good change. The world is now, at least, better than it was before. It's basically like I'm a hero? What do you mean basically? (laughs) I am a hero. (laughs) TikTok CEO provides insights on how the algorithm works. So we've talked before about how algorithms work on social media and how it like draws commonalities between different users to find what other users are likely gonna be interested in. And while this is like fairly common knowledge now, it is nice when like higher ups at these social medias confirm this to be true. And this is something that a head honcho at TikTok recently did. I'm going to simplify this a lot, but the machine learning, the recommendation algorithm, is really just math. So, for example, if you if you like videos one, two, three, and four, and I like videos one, two, three, and five, maybe he liked videos one, two, three, and six. Now, what's going to happen is because we like one, two, three at the same time, he's going to be shown four, five, six, and so are we. And you can think about this repeated at scale in real time across more than a billion people. And of course, you know, AI and machine learning has allowed this to be done at a very, very big scale. And what we have seen, the result of this is that it learns um, the interest signals that people exhibit very quickly and shows you content that's really relevant for you uh, in in, in a very quick way. The questions I have are related to what happens when the videos don't have any views. Like you can understand how when a bunch of different videos have views on them they can draw commonalities, but what if something has no views, no interest points? What are the starting parameters that are used to make a video reach new people? Because obviously these algorithms have moved away from analyzing thumbnails and titles and tags and stuff because people just lie in those. They're more interested in how the user base actually interacts with the content. But when there's no interaction at all, what is it basing it off? I assume that they using those older data points, which is thumbnail, title, tags, and all that stuff, and the nanosecond it gets any sort of feedback, it just discards that and just goes off how the users are interacting with the content, but they never talk about that. To me, the way this algorithm would work would seem to just constantly reinforce what is already popular, what it already has the most user interactions on, the most data points on, and making it much harder for new people to really get in. Anyone who already has a lot of views will have the most data points and therefore will get their content shown to the most people in a constant feedback loop. They get shown to a small audience, possible, where they just like randomly give it to people and then hope to get sufficient data that they can extrapolate that to the people who actually want to watch their content. But what I mean is we can speculate, but they don't talk about this. It is interesting how many dislikes there are on that video though. Like, there are some people who really, really hate TikTok and any kind of mention of it and think it's destroying civilization, and there are other people who love TikTok in every single way, shape, or form. Are you breaking the law when you stream video games? So I ran across this TikTok. All it's really saying is the obvious, where if you buy a video game, it doesn't give you a license to stream or make content out of it. It's not even really obvious that it meets the guidelines of fair use. Whenever someone points this out, there's always some pushback from people. Anyone gonna mention how fair use laws work and how streaming and providing commentary is transformative, and that is the streamers' content? People out here being like, look, you paid 60 bucks for a video game, now you have a license to use the characters of the Nintendo IP in any way that you want. I'm gonna start selling Mario merch because I bought myself Super Mario Sunshine 20 years ago. Let's fucking go. Why do people think people are paying tens of thousands of dollars for licenses for songs when you could just buy a CD from your local store and be like, I bought a CD of some music. I can just do whatever I want with it now. I'm gonna buy myself Elden Ring, rip that shit to Steam, and sell it for half price. I mean, I bought the game. It's mine now. Obviously, I'm being a bit facetious. They're like, look, if you provide some commentary, then you can do whatever you want. That is not how this works. Commentary is not the standard by which transformation is judged. It's not the standard by which fair use is judged. Having an opinion on something doesn't transform something. Transformation is based on the degree to which what you've created can be considered a substitute for the original. You want to argue that here's the original and you're way over here in some other market doing your own goddamn thing. You target a different audience for a different purpose. What you use is the bare minimum of what is required for you to make what you've made. And those these guidelines are hard to meet. It bothers me every single person who references the H3H3 lawsuit thinking that it's a ruling on just all uses of content. Well, H3H3 said some words and therefore he won his lawsuit, which is not the case. That lawsuit specifically, as the judge outlined, was not a ruling on all forms of fair use or all forms of reaction content or anything like that. Because he transforms a pickup video for people who want pickup tips into a comedy video for people who want comedy. Completely different markets a completely different audience for a completely different purpose, used 60% of the original work, which the judge called a substantive usage, like a huge usage of the original work. But just because you use 60% or even 100%, it doesn't mean that you can't hypothetically meet the guidelines of fair use. It's just the more that you use, the harder it is to argue that you're making a differentiated work. But so many people, especially young people, forget all the years where video game companies were striking down all video game content on YouTube, And they think that I see live streamers all the time live streaming gaming content, so therefore it must be legal, which is not necessarily. Most of what we get away with in regards to gaming is because if you look at the TOS of any game that comes out these days, it has huge allowances for people to make some forms of content. It's certainly true though that a lot of this stuff hasn't been tested in court, but even if we got like a dozen more court cases, it still probably wouldn't set a good amount of precedent because The type of content that people make in regards to games or in regards to commentary is so unbelievably broad. All content is wildly different in how it uses other people's creative works or other people's IP or what have you. And therefore to some degree it has to be judged on a case-by-case basis. It's simply that we have enough cases now to know what guidelines people are judged on. I mean the fair use guidelines exist and you can read them. In the same way that if a person walked up to another person and stabbed them in the face, screaming, I want to kill this person, that you can say, that's probably a murder. Even though technically murder is a legal definition and the only way a person can actually have done a murder is if they've been convicted for it in a court of law. That's how fair use works as well. Whether or not you violated copyright or you can use the defense of fair use, like you have to go to court to determine that, but you can have some good idea based on the guidelines and the case person. Reacting is murder, that's exactly what I said. We should kick all reactors into the sun. Dark Viper AU puts forth controversial plan to genocide an entire type of content creator. New Moist Critical video coming out tomorrow. YouTube is testing a new feature to help promote small channels. So currently YouTube seems to be running a little bit of an experiment giving exposure to small channels. Don't know if you've noticed, it's probably only on desktop. So in every like third video that I click, in the middle here exactly will be a video that has like less than 20 views. See if I can find another one. So I opened a bunch of videos, on my fifth one was this. Did Obama really kill people every Tuesday? Maya K, 45 views. That is uh, a weird video, way outside the purview of what I would want to watch, but it's there. And so this has been going on for me for about a week. Let me try another six, just the hell of it. So I got one here, 157 views. Some of the scariest moments yet! Wolfenstein, the New Order gameplay walkthrough, 12 views. But see, it's always in the exact same spot, in the exact middle, on the side, right here. So it's clearly an intentional thing, because as I'm sure most of you know, the overwhelming vast majority of content on YouTube is seen by effectively no one. In the same way that thing came out recently that said 38 million songs on Spotify have zero views. Or you can look at the Twitch numbers and like, of 95% of the people who stream over a month have under 5 viewers, on average. The thing about YouTube is these numbers are not super public as to uh, like how top-heavy the website is. I only know of one study, which will be hard for me to find, came out like 2019 and Its limited assessment of the videos that it could get access to suggested that 87% of the views go to the top 3% of channels. And I think that is super optimistic in terms of the distribution there. Like if you look at the top 100 YouTube channels, number 1 has 10 times the views and 10 times the subscribers as number 100. The sort of graph that is being made by YouTube is like the people in the 0.001% have like everything and then it goes down like this. Kind of like the distribution of wealth for the entire planet. Very top-heavy websites. So whenever something like this happens, where they're given some exposure to the little guys, I'm like, good, have a good chance of finding some uh, new people with some talent. With that being said though, I have seen a handful of channels like this. This guy, GG Media, like 10 times a day, is just a picture of him next to a popular video and he reacts to it. He's got 602 videos of just him watching popular videos. And he's, of course, because he throws so much out there, he has uh, had a handful of gets some views, but obviously reaction content will always be most beneficial to those who already have an established brand and audience, but there are so many people at the bottom doing this as well. So basically, interesting development, and I wonder if YouTube is going to continue to do that, give exposure to some smaller creators, some up-and-coming people. Taking a trip down memory lane of my personal best GT5 speedruns. So part of what I spent yesterday doing was looking up all my old speedruns, like my PBs and world records, and finding all the runs themselves. Like obviously I've done far more runs than I have done PBs and world records. PB means personal best, if you didn't know that. But it's interesting looking at my really old content. Like if I could just headshot them all with one clip, it'd be easy the fastest way to do it, but uh, I'm not confident enough to do that. This might be my oldest PB in 3%. I don't think I started with 3% though. So there's older runs than this. Look at that chunky quality. Look at it, the bitrate. My plan is to release all of my old PBs and world records onto my VOD channel. It is interesting looking at the runs though and seeing how I look physically different. The difference between like 5 to 10 kilos on how I look is extreme. Like right now, I'm, on, I'm like chunky Viper AU. I lose 5 kilos and my face is like half the size. One thing I'm happy about, though, is that I had the presence of mind to download all of my old Twitch highlights before I remove them. I'm kind of screwing with the, uh, the people who just listened to the audio. But this is a list of all the games that I've played on Twitch and the handful on YouTube. There are 189 of them. And on the side here represents, like, do I have footage of them? It doesn't necessarily mean I have all the footage, but turns out I'm not missing nearly as much as I thought I would be. Like, most of what I'm missing is stuff that I played for, like, under an hour. Sid Meier's Civilization. Lured that up, was like, this isn't really, really my thing. Darkest Dungeon, Feather King, Nidhogg 2, Spellbreak. I actually think I have this, spell. yeah, I have the Spellbreak footage. The Wind Waker HD, played that for, like, half an hour or something. Don't have that footage. Most games that I played a lot of, I have the footage of. I think the only reason that is the case is because pre- 2019 i didn't play that many other games than gta 5 therefore there was just less to lose what will i do if my channel dies who knows when that's gonna happen and what a death of a channel even means like if i'm getting a million views a month which currently would be like 1 15th of what i get right now would i still be willing to do stuff for my channel i think i would it's hard to imagine a time where i ever wouldn't be just uploading a handful of things to the channel so would my channel be dead at that point one thing I will certainly do before I stop uploading is make sure like, I've covered every single potential issue with my channel or my history or controversy, put everything out there. Because I would hate to have one of those like garbage downfall videos made about me that's just full of Im- misinformation. You know one of those Sunny V2 videos where like he looks at a natural decline of a channel as a person just moves on to other things. And he's like, how did this channel die? What did they do wrong? When in reality it's just like every channel has its growth, its peak, and then slight decline. But a lot of these channels look at that natural decline of viewership and they act like the person's done something wrong. Like no one's popular forever. I want to make sure if when I do eventually leave that I'm leaving on my own terms and I'm explaining why I'm no longer there. I don't want people to speculate. Is my merch store coming back? So any of you that have tried to buy my merch recently would have found out that my merch store has officially been closed down. I did it with Stream Elements and as I said before, they just didn't feel it was worth continuing to maintain that aspect of their business, which sucks for me. The people I was going to go with when they sent me a sample of their products, it wasn't up to my standard, didn't like it, had a little bit of damage in it. So I was like, nah, screw that. And so I'm left without a merch store for the time being. But one thing I'm gonna see if I can try and do is use the integrated feature in YouTube. You can put like shopping and you're able to add products from your store. And what it ends up giving you is like a tab that says store. And so when people go to your channel page, they can click store and it shows like all the gear that you have to sell. The downside is you can only use one of these four, Juniper, Shopify, Spreadshop, and Spring. That's where I'm currently at with making new merch store basically. I'm gonna try and use one of these, find someone to handle it for me to add all my stuff. And eventually, long-term, I hope to eventually have a store button on my channel page probably doesn't matter for most of you, but for those who are interested in getting some of my merch, it will be back hopefully one day. My memes are getting used everywhere. So you guys of course know of my little meme where I'm like you disingenuous dense motherfucker and I'm ranting and raving as I have done far more in the past but still do on occasion. Many of you likely don't know that it is a meme that is sometimes used outside of like my community for different purposes and here's an example. MF Doom fans, when your favorite song is Doomsday instead of a barely comprehensible three-second audio file from a floppy disk, recovered from a small house fire that occurred deep in the slums of Venezuela on the 21st of March 2001, entitled Cowbell.mp3, and is written by his 63rd alter ego, Sir Dibbidi-Doo of the Doo-Wop Crew. I don't know what this means. I assume this is- it's criticizing people who have very esoteric tastes, and who shit on people who just like the mainstream stuff. You're gatekeeping, I guess. I can't read the comments because I'm not gonna log in here, but some of them are like, hey, it's Matto. And I was like, that's cool. I like when that shit happens. <laughs> Even though it's not exactly a good image of me, of course. Answering your most interesting questions submitted on my Discord. In regards to content creation, what would you consider your best decision or lucky turn of fate? Clearly, scrolling through Twitch and seeing Whitwick's speedrunning GT5 and that I was coincidentally looking for something to speedrun and that I happened to have already bought the game two weeks prior. Those three things coming together and me deciding to speedrun GTA 5 was probably the most significant thing that has led to me being who I am today in regards to my content. Of course, I assessed that as lucky without knowing what alternative realities there could have been had that not occurred. For all I know, I got very unlucky. Maybe I would have scrolled two more pages and found a Mario speedrun and decided I'm going to be a Mario speedrunner, and I could have been ten times more successful than I am right now. But that's very unlikely. It is clear that GTA V has been a gateway to content creation success for me, and I'm not confident at all that I could have done it another way, as success is very hard to achieve in this industry. Your 2019 epiphany about YouTube content was pretty important too. Yeah, that I stopped focusing on Twitch and I moved into making YouTube content. There are actually probably like two dozen different decisions that contributed to me being massively more successful. Or two dozen instances where I haven't been the right spot at the right time to have the right information to do particular things. But they asked me for the most significant one and so that's what I answered. We all know you as Matto, but did you have another nickname during school, high school or college? The only other nickname I can recall being given was Jared Salmon, also known as Fish. He called me Judgy Boy when he would uh see me. It was a nice nickname. I can't recall any others, because my last name is Judge, obviously. Do I use my background in psychology often? Depends what you mean by use. Obviously, my experiences in university and the things that I learned during that time have shaped who I am as a person. So you could say that I use that information every single day in some indirect way. But obviously, directly, I do not use my psychology very often. It's actually hard to distinguish sometimes what things I picked up at university versus just in my own interest in the topic or my own interest in philosophy either prior to that point or afterwards. Like you don't remember the exact time and place you learn of anything, right? It's also sometimes hard to determine exactly the roots of a particular idea that you have. But obviously I don't use my psych degree as a Twitch streamer or YouTuber, right? As a psychology major, what was your original work goal if no YouTube? I assumed I would just end up in the public sector in some Community service role or something where I would just help people with their issues, but I didn't have a Specific I want to get this exact job It was more just a sort of vein of life that I wanted to move into which was the study of people behavior Why people have issues and potentially alleviating such things So we ended here. Thank you for watching and joining me on my new channel. I wish you all the best.